All right. Encourage you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Last week talked about the adventure that we are on and how God calls us to follow him even through challenging circumstances. And sometimes he even does miracles. And we saw how uh, Paul went from place to place and, and then preached and, and taught and taught so long. A man fell asleep, fell out of the window, died, and then Paul raised him from the dead. What an amazing story. But what I got out of that and what I preached last week was that God invites us on our own story, our own adventures, and that he, he wants you to be willing to take risks to get out on that adventure. But today, we're going to finish the uh, chapter uh, 20 of Acts, starting at verse 13, and we're going to see how Paul delivers his farewell address. He's saying bye. He's saying, I don't believe I'm going to see you anymore, and so I want to leave you with some words. What, what kind of words would, would you say if you knew you weren't going to see someone you dearly loved for the last time? Think about that for a second. P part of my training is a, a theory of psychology called existential um, theory, which means to think outside of yourself to a big, bigger picture of reality. Think about uh, something that um, we would call metaphysics. You're like, whoa, pastor, using big words, existential theory and metaphysics. Well, all of this means to think about something outside of yourself, the purpose of life. You think about if you have children, grandchildren, or if you have friends or family who you would be seeing for the last time, what would you want to tell them about the purpose of life? And it's interesting, the more we read about people's biographies or history, even the wealthiest of wealthy people on their deathbed regret having deeper, more meaningful relationships where they could speak to people and give them pass on what they've learned in life. And often they pass on the fact that don't worry about chasing after wealth. Focus on your family. Focus on those who are closest to you. It's interesting. We need to remind ourselves of this. And as Paul is going to share with the Ephesian church, he's going to pass on his last words. And I had to think, well, with my Oma passing away this uh, past month, and with her funeral on Friday, I think, what would she have said to me? Now, this past year, my Oma has been in dementia, and so obviously her words are a little different than they would have been previous to this past year, but I know my Oma's heart, and I can think in my mind quite easily what she would tell me, and she would just tell me to love Jesus and follow Jesus. You know how I know that? She would give me a birthday card every birthday with money in it, so I paid attention because I wanted the money. But she would always put a scripture there and a prayer, and she always told me to keep loving Jesus. And this morning, as our family group chat was encouraging my mother-in-law, who's preaching at Wesley Acres, like I mentioned in my prayer as I was praying for her, I sent a quick text and saying, listen, if she, she doesn't normally preach, so this is like a big deal for her to preach. And I said, don't worry, just remember it's all about Jesus. 
And so as Paul gives his last message to the Ephesians, or if you ever had the last chance to speak to someone as a believer, or if I ever said, I want you to preach one sermon from this pulpit, or if even I had my last sermon, I actually, I remember preaching my last sermon in my previous church some uh, six years ago. I'm saying goodbye to my previous church, and we had formed some pretty deep relationships over seven years there, and and, and, and I'm like, what do I have to pass on to you as I say goodbye? And, and, and it's, it's Jesus. There's nothing better I can pass on to you. And so if I'm in my Oma or Opa's shoes one day, and my kids, if they happen to have children, or if their children have children, and I'm sitting in a, in a bed one day, and they're coming to me to say their goodbyes, this is my vision, is that I would just share that Jesus loves you so much and f- trust him which is what we, when we use the word believe in Jesus, it's simply trusting. Because the Bible actually says, even the devil believes that there is a God. And we read in the gospels, even the demons show up and know who Jesus is. The enemy is aware of God, but there's a difference between keeping your trust in him in faith than just saying you merely believe. And so church, as we, we're going to read these words of Paul speaking to the church, saying his goodbyes, we're going to the heart of it is keep your trust in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Follow Jesus. I'm not afraid, you guys know this, to keep preaching a similar message. There, there shouldn't be a message. Um, there's a, there's a, a theologian who passed away quite recently. His name was um, Tim Keller. Tim Keller passed away, and I read one of his books on preaching. And Tim Keller would say, as you read the scriptures, make sure it always points back to Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's the Old Testament before Jesus showed up and it's the story of Israel, or if it's the New Testament and it's the letters to the church and it's talking about how we as a church should behave, it should always point back to who Jesus is. Listen, I think a lot of people stop coming to church when church stops being about Jesus. I want my kids to keep being a part of the family of God, keep being part of the church, I think the only way that we can ensure that there's a possibility that they want to be a part of this thing we call church is if we make sure it's about Jesus. Because I'm not attractive enough. Sorry, guys, you're beautiful people, but you're not attractive enough. We can try to entertain people. We can try to put on the greatest worship services. I can try to be the best preacher. But the reality is we will lose people, even in in, in the beautiful music, even in, in great preaching, we will lose people if we keep our eyes off of Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on him. So let's read Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 13. We're going to see how Paul says his goodbyes and instructs the leaders. Acts chapter 20, verse 13. I'm just going to give a quick backdrop for people who might not be aware. Acts is the first book of the Bible after the Gospels. The Gospels are all about Jesus. Jesus dies, rises from the grave, and then ascends to heaven, and he gives instructions to the church to start sharing the Gospel, preaching, teaching, and baptizing people in Jesus' name. And so the book of Acts is the disciples forming the church and doing exactly what Jesus says. And so Paul is one of the first leaders in the church, and he's built all of these churches throughout the ancient uh, Middle East, 
uh, Mediterranean world, and he's traveled from place to place, and he knows his time is coming to an end. He knows that he eventually needs to get to Rome, and he knows that Rome hates Christians, and he knows that eventually he will die at the hands of Rome. And so he's going to have to say goodbye to some of these churches he started. And so Acts chapter 20, verse 13 says, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed across Asus, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He made his arrangements because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asus, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samus. And on the following day, arrived at Metilus, Miletus. Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must, must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I'm going to stop there for a second. So he's, he's traveling from town to town. He's in, he's in a hurry. Paul is known to be in a hurry, going from place to place. And he knows he's getting close to Ephesus, but he knows that he can't go there because it'll distract him from his path to get back to Jerusalem. So he's in a town nearby, Ephesus. So he calls out the elders. Who are the elders? The elders are like the leaders of the church. The, you know, when we use the term elders, like, you know, my dad always told me, respect your elders, right? And that's something we need to continually encourage young people to do is to show respect to elders. And what, what do we mean by that? We, well, we do mean people who are elderly, people who are older, they deserve more respect, and the Bible talks about that. But in the context of the New Testament church, it's not just elderly people, it's people who have positions within the community of faith where they are leaders. An elder within a church, if you've grown up in a church, sometimes um, some churches keep that term that we have elders or deacons within a church. Deacon simply means servant. Elder is an overseer, someone who's in charge. And so our church has that. When I mentioned the fact that we're having a meeting on June 25th, that one of the things we will do is elect new elders. Now, we don't call them elders. We call them board members. But they're in a position that we would normally, in, if you take it into context of the New Testament, they would be our elders. They would be the people who we respect to make wise decisions on behalf of the church. And so he calls them. And he says, you know that I've gone through a lot of hardship. You know that I've tried my best to stay humble. In other words, when we talk about staying humble, it's not about me. 
right? Like you've all, I'm sure you've all met people where uh, you might not want to keep a relationship with someone because you know that if you invest a relationship with that person, they're going to be what we would call takers. They're just going to take from you all the time because it's all about them. And in the community of faith, humility is so important because it's not just about me. And sometimes it is about me because I'm wounded and I need help. And that's where we surround each other. But it shouldn't always be about one person in the community of faith. It should be that when you enter into the community of faith, we serve each other in humility. And so Paul's saying, I came to you in humility where I made sure it wasn't about me. And then he goes on, you know, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. So he's like, my intention was to bring you help, that you would not just be there hearing me talk about me, but that I would come to serve you, that I would make it more about you. And how would he do that? He finishes off by saying, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So he's saying, in order for me to be helpful to you, in order for me to pass on the most helpful things to you, what did I do? I told you, you need to repent. What does that mean? To turn from your old ways. To turn away from the things that would so easily distract you. And to turn towards Jesus. This is what repentance is. See, sometimes we think repentance is like not doing the things we shouldn't do, like stop sinning. You ever hear a church tell someone, you got to stop sinning? Okay, yes, church, we want to be holy. We want to be set apart. We want to be more like Jesus. But here's the reality is if we don't tell people to fix their eyes on Jesus and to go after Jesus and we just tell them to stop doing the bad things, they're not going to really repent. Repentance is a matter of the heart. Your heart is turned when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you see someone you want to follow, follow after. When the Son of God, God himself, leads and guides you, you want to follow. You don't have to just tell yourself to stop doing the bad things. And I think our strategy throughout maybe the past 50 years, maybe 100 years in church, a form of legalism has entered into the church judgmentalism. I've told you this before. We've been more known for judging others. It's because we've talked less about Jesus. and We've talked more about the things we shouldn't be doing. I told someone this recently when they were concerned about the ways of the world. I said, yeah, I'm concerned over the ways of the world as well, but you don't teach people what a fake is when you're talking about money. Money was the illustration I used. When you're bank tellers, when they learn what's real, what's fake, and they're handling money, you don't teach them by giving them fake money. You teach them by giving them the real thing. Once they learn what the real thing is, then they know how to distinguish, well, this one's not real. It's fake because it's not like the real thing. In the same way, when we tell people who the truth is, who Jesus is, he's the real thing, then they won't want to follow a phony. Then they won't won't want to go and pursue the ways of the world. Then things like alcohol and drugs, then things like uh, sex and money, then those things aren't as alluring because they've seen the real deal. Now, here's the unfortunate part. The unfortunate part is how Paul has said, hey, if there's anything helpful I can pass on to you, it's to turn to Jesus in repentance and to trust in him, believe in him. You need to both hear that, but you also need to see that. And our world, which is saturated in the gospel, which has a church, like 10 churches within uh, every small little community, it seems, still misses the point that it's about Jesus often. 
So church, who do we want to be when we read the book of Acts, when we, when we figure out what the New Testament is telling us? We want to, I want to listen to what Paul's saying, and it's like the main message, who we need to be about is Jesus. Um, for those of you who are relatively new to the church and you haven't tur- stood up, turned around, and looked at the back, we have a church motto. Our church motto is to live and love like Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. And again, I'm not ashamed to continually preach this same message, even to the point where you might get tired of hearing that, because here's the reason I'm going to keep doing it, even with the threat of you might getting tired of it, because I know I'm not getting tired of it. I will never get tired. See, the thing is, if you get tired of hearing the name of Jesus, heaven is not for you, because heaven's going to be all about Jesus. And if you get tired of hearing the name of Jesus, you probably don't know Jesus, You probably haven't had him touch your heart the way he wants to touch your heart. To be your savior, to be your Lord. But also what he told his disciples is to be your friend. And when you get that intimacy with Jesus, you'll start to understand why Pastor Thomas keeps talking about Jesus. Because there's no friend like Jesus. There's no one worth following like Jesus. There's also no one who claimed to be God and then rose from the dead, defeating death and giving us that same hope and promise. Verse 22 says, and this is Paul speaking, he says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul, knowing, knowing that um, the Jews were against him, because again, he was transforming the Jewish religion into Christianity. He was calling all of Jews to turn to Jesus, and they weren't used to that. They wanted to follow just the Old Testament laws of Moses, and so it was offensive to to them to hear about Jesus, and so they were persecuting Paul. But not only were they persecuting Paul, but Rome, which was pagan. Uh, We read a few weeks ago where um, in in Ephesus, there was big riots starting because he was calling uh, the pagans to worship only Jesus. And so here, both Jews and the pagans of that world were coming against Paul. Paul is hearing from God himself through the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is the one who testifies to our hearts, to our souls, speaks to our minds. You might be hearing God right now speak to you thoughts that you've never heard in your heart before because that's how the Holy Spirit works. He inspires us. He speaks to us. He leads and he guides us. And so the Holy Spirit is telling Paul what? Hard times are coming. Now, most of us here, when we hear hard times are coming, we have a fight or flight response. Actually, some people say we might have a fight, flight, or freeze response when we know hardships are coming. The reality is Paul knows that even though those temptations might come where he doesn't want to go through those hardships, that it's all worth it if it's for Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I know that my time is coming to an end. I know that they're probably going to put me in prison. I know that this life is going to get super difficult, but I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to even fight against it. 
what I'm going to do is trust Jesus. Because it's all worth it if I get to preach of God's grace. What does that mean, God's grace? We, we named my uh, first daughter, Julia Grace Ng. Hartley and Melissa named Aurora, uh, Aurora Grace. And so here we, 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 we name our kids this beautiful name of grace. I'm sure you've heard kids with that name, Grace. And, and uh, it's just a beautiful, there you go. It's a beautiful name. But, but we were talking about this yesterday in men's meeting about how in the Bible, names were more than just a beautiful word with a, with a nice sound, even though some of you might have named your daughters that because it has a beautiful ring to it. But it's more about the meaning. And the meaning is this, is that God has given you unmerited, undeserved favor. That's what grace is. You get a gift you don't deserve. It's like when I take my kids out for ice cream. Right? They don't deserve it. They've been terrible all day long. They, but I give it to them anyways because I love them. You know? And, and, and Julia's like, Julia, it's funny that Julia's name is Grace because she's the one who, she knows that I won't give her ice cream um, sometimes if she's just going to ask me all the time. So she like tries to like hint around ice cream. I mean, ice, uh, obviously it was, it's been hot recently. So ice cream has been the subject that comes up. And so she's like, oh, could we or could we not? Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, she's trying not to mention ice cream, but hint around it that she wants it. And I'll be honest, we name her Grace, and she's taught us probably the most grace out of all of our children. That she doesn't deserve it. And yet I want to give it to I want to give it to her. Not just to, not just to keep her quiet, right? And keep her happy, but because I love her. And the Bible says, Jesus himself said this: your heavenly father. He wants to give you grace. And that if you, as children who are sinful, who evil thoughts come into your mind, and yet you still know how to give good gifts, doesn't your heavenly father, doesn't God Almighty who created the earth for his pleasure and for you to have dominion over, if you read the early books of the Bible, that God's purpose is to enjoy you as his children, doesn't he know how to give you good gifts? That's what Jesus said. God knows how to give you good gifts. And what Paul's saying here is he would go through anything to tell these people. He would even risk going to prison and being tortured and even killed to tell people about how God has grace, how God wants to give you good things, how God has the gift of eternal life for you, how he wants to give you something you don't deserve, which is heaven, which is a relationship with your heavenly father, which is knowing Jesus. The greatest gift of all is knowing Jesus and spending eternity with Jesus. And God wants to give you that. And Paul says it's worth losing everything to share that gift with others, to give people God's grace. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, I, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of the, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and every word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself knows, know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed, that you, showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give and to re- than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them and prayed. They all wept and embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So you can envision maybe someone you love and you care about the most and, and having a, a, a final goodbye. And Paul's just telling them, yes, it's about God's grace and, and, and keep pursuing God. But then he warns them and his warning is that some people might come in and try to distort the truth for their own good. See, when it becomes about anything other than Jesus, people are probably have a different motivation. And Paul's making it clear. He didn't want to do it for silver or gold. He wasn't doing it for money. And a lot of people look at the church and think that the church is after their money. You know why? Because often the church has been after people's money. And so it leaves that sour taste in people's mouths. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, it shouldn't be about people's money. I've said it before, and and I'll say it again. I want to preach the gospel regardless of how much the church pays me. That's not what it's about here. If I got to get another job so I can keep keep preaching the Bible, that's what I got to do. And I hope the same goes for you, that you will preach no matter what benefit you might gain. Because he says there's going to be other people who come in and they're going to make it about themselves. They're going to make it about the money. And Paul's like, I didn't do that. I want you to know there's going to be other people who are going to make it about them, make it the money. Don't let it go down that route. Protect yourself. Now he says, protect yourself from the wolves. Like literal wolves obviously aren't coming in. They're not worried about wild animals entering the church. Wolves, obviously you would know, is that analogy of someone who has a vicious intention. And often the Bible, when it talks, the Bible talks about wolves. You've probably heard it said they're like wolves with sheep's clothing on. So they look innocent, but inside their heart, they have evil intentions. And so Paul's saying, guard yourself against that. And the way you could know is if they're lured by money or their own desires. And so Paul fights that by saying, when Jesus talked about grace and giving. He says, it's better to give and receive than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. And our duty and obligation is to take care of the least among us. See, what do, what do wolves do? They, t- they go after the weakest ones. 
They take advantage of the weakest ones. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day, Jesus went at them and said, hey, listen, you don't really care for the elderly. You don't care for widows and orphans. You do this thing called a gift uh, called Corbin, which meant they would just give a gift to the temple to take care of the weak, to take care of the elderly. To take, It's like sending someone to an old folks home to say, they're just taken care of. We won't even visit them anymore. We've done our duty. We've paid our fee. They're taken care of. They don't really care about them. Jesus went after them for doing that. Instead, Jesus said, Jesus is trying to teach, it's better to give than to receive. It's better for us to take care of each other. That the real heart's motivation of the church, rather than being a wolf going after the weakest, is to take care, be like a shepherd. He's saying, shepherd God's flock. Take care of the weakest ones. Which, I want you to flip this upside down. You might think, well, the most important thing in happening in this building right now is right here in this room. God's speaking to us here in this room. Reality is, you're wrong if you think that way. Who are the weakest, most vulnerable people in our church right now? They're all downstairs. In God's kingdom, everything's flipped upside down. They are the most vulnerable. They're the weakest. We need to take care of them. Now, that's not to say we don't have some people here who are weak and frail and need help and care. And I thank all of you for assisting. You know, few weeks ago, we had a sister who went through a hardship by having uh, internet fraud or, or, or telephone fraud. We had someone else um, who has needed rides to medical appointments. Uh, many of you actually have had need of those things. And we have people in our church taking care of each other, driving people around. We have other people who have kids who need childcare sometimes, and other people come alongside them and help them with childcare. We take care of each other in this church. We have people who've had marriages falling apart and we're there for them to try to help either save the marriage or uh, uh, minister to the kids who are going through a split home. We, as a church, and I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back, I, I want you to know the mission of the church is to take care of people who are in need because people often think that the church is about taking our, their money and it's not. If we ask for your money, and trust me, we could use your money, it's only to take care of people who need it. It's only to ensure that the work of spreading the message of the kingdom, which is all about Jesus, and Jesus is all about the weak, that's what it's about. And so when we say we preach the word of Jesus, we want people to be like Jesus, we also show them what it looks like to be like Jesus which Jesus said to take care of those who are weak among you, to, that the little children, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, the little children. And so we know that there's going to be people who care more about the things of this world, who care more about money, but Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And as this chapter end, he, he got down on there, they all got down on their knees and they were praying together and they were weeping. They were weeping. Why were they weeping? And you guys all, I'm sure you've had relationships that just mean so much that if you knew they were ending today, you would cry. Right? Like, I, here I'm listening to a Dutch funeral. I have no clue what's going on. And they sing a hymn that I know my Oma would sing. And I cry. I don't even know what they're saying. But I miss her. And I know you guys have people in your life who that's, you know, like, you're like, Thomas, stop talking about this because you're going to make me cry. No, it's okay. They cried in the, the scriptures. They're crying here in the scriptures. It's okay to miss people. But I want you to point out, I want to point out to you that these relationships are founded on Jesus Christ. 
I've known many people in my life. I've had lots of friends. The best relationships are bonded through loving Jesus together. You know, there's even Christian relationships where we've gone our own way and we don't talk anymore. And those relationships were sweetest when we both knew we loved Jesus. And often they're fractured when either myself or the other person, and I have to admit, there are times where I've prioritized other things other than Jesus and relationships. And I've had to learn my lessons the hard way when those relationships have severed. And if I ever had an opportunity to restore some of those relationships, if those people came back into my life, I would hope that I would be able to reconcile those relationships by saying, sorry, I made it about me and not about Jesus. And sometimes I apologize to people who don't even know me, but see me as a pastor because their church has done that to them where they've made it about themselves rather than about Jesus. And I'm sorry, I I say sorry that the church has done that to you because that's not who we as a church should be about. That's not God's heart. That's not God's will. Some of you might still be wrestling with some of that. What does the church really want from me? And as pastor of this church, as an elder in this church, as a leader in this church, I want you to know, and I speak on behalf of the board and the elders in our church, and I say, our motto, and we're not going to change it, is to live in love like Jesus. Our, our heart's desire is that you would follow Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if this was my last sermon I ever preached, if I didn't come back next week because something severe happened to me, I, I'd be happy to know that my last message was to you about Jesus. That's why probably next week I'll keep talking about Jesus because I plan on being back. And you know what? Some of you guys know that in 2016, before I came and pastored this church, we came here in 2017. In 2016, I got severely ill with Lyme's disease, and it almost took me by taking my heart. And I remember the day after I woke up and they had told me, you almost died there in the ICU. I remember thinking, I guess Jesus wants me to keep preaching about him. Simple as that. I read a devotional, and it was all about that. And I was like, okay, they... Makes, makes it simple. So I'm glad that like seven years later, this is what I'm still doing. We taught membership class last week. Membership class, I told them, I'm a free Methodist. I'm a bit of a proud free Methodist. I know our history and I, I like our history, but the, the reality is I'm only a free Methodist because it affords me the opportunity to preach about Jesus. If I never got the opportunity to preach about Jesus, I wouldn't be a free Methodist pastor. I'll tell you that much. And so this is who it's all about. And I'm, I think my denomination leaders would be proud that to hear me say that, that this is a denomination that affords me the opportunity to preach the name of Jesus, and that's who we're all about. And so uh, if, uh, I know you, a lot of you guys aren't new to this church, but for those of you who are uh, maybe online or some of you who are new to the church, or you get, you get a picture of who we're about. We're about Jesus, and if you keep coming, if you keep tuning in, you'll get to know Jesus more, hopefully. And hopefully, not only will you hear about Jesus, but you'll see him in action. You'll see him giving grace to those who need grace. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Pray to Jesus in Jesus' name. First, I want to say, Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you that you gave a part of who you are because Jesus himself claimed to be God. He said, I am the great I am. He was a part of you. He was your only son and you sent him to us to die on a cross and we put him there with our sin. And yet, despite him suffering on a cross, despite him dying one of the worst worst deaths possible, he still loved us as he gave himself for us. 
your word says that while we were still sinners, while we were far from you, when we didn't even know you, you loved us and died for us. This is your grace. And you welcome us into your family. You welcome us to know you, not only here on this earth, but one day to see your fa- you face to face, to see you in heaven. I thank you for that promise. I thank you for that promise that gives me hope that one day I'll see my Opa and Oma. And I know many people here who have that hope and promise that they will see those loved ones that they have who know Jesus. We know that time and eternity is in your hands. And as Paul was saying his last words, Lord, we want to know that our last words would be about you too. Encourage us, Lord Jesus. Lift us up. Put our problems into a greater perspective. Fill us with hope that your love covers over anything that we've ever been through. And that you lift us up. You take us out of any pit that we're in emotionally, spiritually. I've even seen financially, Lord, where you lift people up out of their burdens and you make them a new person. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who's like, I need that again, I need to give my heart back to Jesus, I need to commit myself to Jesus once again, I pray, or maybe even for the first time, I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to surrender. Spirit, have your way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.